Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to India Game Changer. Today we are joined by Meghna Krishna, Group CRO Chief Revenue Officer at Videoverse. It is super to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Michael, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. I will just specify here, I might be the Group CRO at Videoverse, but I think the focus or our... our um, key uh, offering is magnify so um I, I also have the responsibility of managing as a cro uh, magnify as a brand as well what's the difference how many brands does videoverse have so we currently have three brands okay. well magnify focus is our enterprise solution and then we have a couple of other brands that we're focusing and building for the um the creator community out there, which is increasingly increasing in terms of their value and influence. Uh, and, and those two brands are yet to be completely launched. So I okay. don't want to talk about it until we're there. That's okay. It's okay. I'm super curious. We'll have to have you back again then because the creator community, like I think the media landscape is just changing so rapidly. And I think at some point the creator community, I'm putting in quotes, is going to change from just being the media that's just, that's my opinion. I was having a super long conversation with somebody about this last night, but let's focus on Magnify for now. And before we do yeah. that, let's get a little bit of your background for some context, because I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, as a person, I am extremely curious and entrepreneurial in nature, right? So, um, and, and I think if I go back to how I started, I started uh, my career back in the U.S., a long time ago and I started on the in the marketing side of things and and I grew up in a very business oriented family where uh, I never had any aspirations of launching a business or becoming an entrepreneur but but in 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 my mind I always wanted to do something big and that got um, I started working with Walmart to start my career with um, in the marketing and business strategy walmart.com and uh, that was it was a great learning experience for me and, and you know, gave me growth. But my view of things changed when I joined um, Home Shop 18, which is India's first omni-channel platform, because that's where I got my first tryst with launching a business or building a business. And I knew I was addicted. Like from day one, I knew this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I want to go back to the Walmart experience because this is super interesting for me, right? I'm much older than you are, which means that I've been following Walmart as a company, right? Before mm -hmm. there was Walmart.com, but back when there was Kmart, back when there was Sears in the United States, and Walmart was kind of this up-and-coming thing, right, where they were starting to open up these mega centers. And we wondered, like, when were they going to go online? What was it like back then? And you know, we say back then, but it wasn't actually that long ago. You said a long time ago, but to be fair, it wasn't that long ago. What was it like starting that thing? What was the, because, you know, Walmart was uniquely this thing that was super offline, started in Arkansas. Do you know what I mean? And then to go huh? online was a big thing for them. What was it like for you and for them back then? So... The interesting about Walmart is they have very strong culture, right? They're based in Bentonville, Bentonville Arkansas, yep. and uh, they move at a certain pace. They do things a certain way. And they launched their Walmart.com office in San Francisco. And that was in itself a big deal for them because that's that's completely different from what they're used to. And it must the have been scary for them in a way, right? Um, they didn't know what to they, they they didn't know how to manage this team because this team was kind of you know going off and doing things on their own we didn't want to do anything that walmart was doing at that time it was almost like 
we don't want to be Walmart. We want to be a hip and happening online company, right? right. But but the fact is that we were who we were because we were Walmart. Everyone, we got so many visitors on our uh, website because we were Walmart and people were expecting to see Walmart offerings on walmart.com as right. well. Right. And, you know, Walmart had this reputation of just like everyday low prices, right? I think that actually at some point that was their slogan. You could, they, they just said, and they were so good the, the Walmart differentiator, whether they wanted it to be this way or not, and whether they started out thinking this or not, doesn't matter to me. But their logistics and their ability to be super efficient in getting product to their stores and then working with their suppliers to get their prices as low as possible meant that they should have been able to go online and dominate as well. Like, this was the big fear. Even Amazon back then was like, uh-oh. But it's what if hard, right? But it's hard, right? It's super hard to do. And I don't know if you remember... And I'm struggling to remember as we're talking this, but Walmart bought a company, I believe, and I could be wrong, called Jet.com. Do I have this right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jet, Jet, Jet. Yes, yes, they did buy Jet. For $4 uh, billion dollars and something, just to kind of say, maybe we don't know. Yeah. How can you help? Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Uh, so it was difficult. I mean, because we were struggling so much with our identity. We yeah. Did we want to be Walmart? At that time, Netflix had this model of emailing DVDs, right? I oh. don't know if you remember that. Initially, they started with emailing DVDs. So the, is that what packages. Mm-hmm. Is that what we wanted to be? Um, do we want to carry the same merchandise that Walmart is carrying? Right. Walmart at that time, out of the 400 million, they... So there are 100 million households in the U.S., right? They cater to 99 million households. Wow. That was their reach. Wow. Just so huge. But here's the other thing. Can I ask you this? Like, why were you even in the States back then? Because you're not from the United States, yeah? I'm not. I'm from India. I'm born and brought up here. I, I got married and I moved to the, the United States. That's So that's, I said, like, my background is very conservative business family in India who's who's like I was brought up to believe that I'm going to get married and go live happily ever after, like live my fairy tale. That was okay. that was the ambition then. Okay, but then, yeah, so. but how did you get inside marketing into what? Like this is so different than that, no? I, I think it happened luck by chance. Like I, I, I was doing, I was doing a couple of small assignments with startups back. I was in the valley. I was in uh, San Francisco Bay oh, wow. Area, and uh, I saw. Um, an opening and I applied for it and uh, I got the job. So here's the flip side of the question though, right? You're talking about Bentonville, Arkansas. Like for people that are familiar with the United States, that means something to them. And what it probably means is like you said, kind of this slow movement, very conservative, not in a bad way, but in a way of just like, we'll take our time deciding. And Walmart is uniquely like a family owned business, even though it's a public company, I believe. So it has this very like specific culture, but what was it like for you as an Indian woman in Silicon Valley to kind of, you're laughing and I'm kind of laughing too. I feel bad laughing, but you know what I mean? It's like you didn't even intend to be there and then there you are, but with Walmart, which is this quintessential Bentonville, Arkansas company, what was it like for you trying to assimilate into that? So my, 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 um, Introduction to Walmart as a company was in San Francisco, and right. there the pace was really fast pace internet. And this is the at the peak of the internet era where we were growing uh, multifold. So it was it was very it, it was very fast paced, and we were doing things. And then the first time I got to go to Bentonville, my boss called me in and she said, "Megna, the first thing I'll tell you is when you go to Bentonville, slow down." 
And that was the only advice she gave me. Go ahead. No, keep going. No, so yeah, so so and and then it helped because I'm from a small, I'm a really small town, like a very very small town in India. So uh, I understand. I I understood, and and that's that was the whole thing that I understood the fast pace and I understood the slow small town culture, and I I was comfortable in both. I was equally comfortable in both. Which is a huge skill to have. Look, Silicon Valley as a thing, and and twenty years ago it was even smaller than it is today. I still think it's a very small kind of close knit community, but back then it was even smaller. Did you find yourself back then chatting after work on the weekends with other people that were building startup companies? And did you get that whole Silicon Valley vibe, if you know what I mean? All the time. I mean, everyone was talking about building businesses then, right? And I had the privilege of uh, ha- of meeting people who were in Walmart.com who were looking to build their businesses, or even uh, my ex-husband had, uh, had graduated from Harvard. So, you know, mingling with that community, my boss was from Stanford. So I, I was amongst the best of the best. And that just inspired me to be better. Do you feel like it changed your mindset? Right. In other words, you said you can't. You, you said you came from a small town. I don't know what a small town is in India that has a billion and one point two or one point three billion people. Right, a small town in America has like seven thousand people in it. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a small town, but anyway, the point is that like when you experience this, when you live overseas for a while, I know because I've done it for thirty years. Like I don't think I could go home because I don't feel like I'm the same person. Yeah. When you when you came back for whatever reason, did you feel like you were just somebody completely different? Because you said traditional business family, the ideal for you, even from your family perspective, was like, just get married, live this dream kind of thing. But that, you didn't do that. You built stuff, you marketed stuff, you did it in another country, like that's awesome. And then you come home too, and then you do the shop 18, what was it called, home shop 18? Home, yeah, shop home 18 shop. thing. And now you're like deeply in the Indian startup ecosystem. Right. Go ahead. So. So yes, uh, San Francisco changed me, right? It taught me to dream big. It, it just removed that limit of uh, your dreams, right? You, you, there was no limit to my dreams because I'd seen it be big. Probably if I'd stayed in India in my small town, I would not even have imagined. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. But yeah. I got the opportunity to see how big things can be. I mean, I saw Amazon go from nothing to where it reached. Right. So, so for me, it, it just made my dreams bigger and it gave me that uh, reason to fly higher. Did you find, and I found this myself, right? That I think when you go abroad, your mind is open. You know you're going into a completely different situation and you're thinking, everyone talks about culture shock and they're thinking, oh God, San Francisco, wherever they go, it's just so different. How am I going to deal with it? But if you're an open-minded person, you realize when you land, like everything's going to be different. So whatever's happening must be normal. But when you come home, because you're different now, I think reverse culture shock is so much harder. Do you know what I mean? Michael, you, you've literally, like, it's absolutely what I felt. And I was going to say that I didn't feel culture shock, but the reverse culture shock was so high when I moved back from San Francisco to yeah. India. It took me almost two years to come to terms with what, how it has changed and why me having changed for, for, 
for the better or worse or whatever is better for me and I want to stay that way so I I chose to remain or chose to still keep my dreams and what I wanted to do even being back in India so I'm telling you right now that the title of this episode is there was no limit to my dreams and and <laughs> but the thing that I really want to learn more about right is that because you've changed and because you knew you did did you feel a little tension maybe from your friends that were still at home even your friends that were in the big cities back at home where they were like she doesn't seem like the same person anymore do you know what i mean you know i've i've been lucky i still all my school colleagues i'm i'm back in touch with them and and i've been they've been great they've been they've accepted me with open arms and they've never come back and said you've changed as a person so and if they if they're saying it behind my back then i don't know but in front of me they're all good <laughs> oh that is beautiful highly unlikely if they're still your friends tell me about how you got into magnify and what is it like being such like on the c-suite team as this woman with this incredible experience from overseas as well, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, that's very difficult to define. Uh, I'll tell you first how I got into Magnify. So um, when when Magnify was initially um, earlier known as Touch, right? And when, when I started talking to the co-founders, I was working with another SaaS company and I just... I, they showed me what they had and I fell in love with the product and yeah. I knew that this was going to be the future and not because uh, not because of anything else, but because for four years, I'd actually been trying to, or, or working with people who were developing a product like this and they had not been successful. So when I saw this, I knew that this was something that's, that's going to be the future. And I'd worked in media, I'd worked in the video industry, Home Shop 18 was a television channel as well. So I'd worked in media to understand enough that this is something that could be tied, like it could change the way people do things on video and on broadcast and with OTTs coming into uh, the picture. So that's that's what got me excited and got me to magnify. Uh, what's made me stay uh, in the C-suite is because I've seen how we've been able to grow the company in the last one year. I have seen, and, and for me, that's what's exciting. So, so you asked me, who am I as a person? I'm the person who wants to take on challenges that no one wants to take. <laughs> I, I love I love doing things that people haven't done before. Even at home shopping, we were the first 24-hour television shopping channel. We were the first ones. We were one of the largest e-commerce. We were the first to launch a mobile app. We were the first to do so many things. We literally created the supplier community in India, um, which, which is now uh, supporting the e-commerce revolution that's happening in India. So, so for me, doing things that haven't been done before I take it on as a challenge. And when, when I get over that hump, it's it's like, it's so exciting. <laughs> and in magnify, I have seen that happen in so many different ways. Are you a sports fan? Um, I, I like sports that I like, like cricket is a religion in India. So right, everyone watches uh, cricket. Um, I used to play basketball in school as part of the school team. So I play basketball. And my son is a national level badminton player. So I'm... Oh, wow. I'm a, um, I watch badminton. So yeah, it's the sports that I watch, but I, I don't know if I'd call myself an ardent fan who wants to watch every game and I, not, not like that. But how do you get that? Because Magnify, at least initially, in my understanding, right, that it's so well set up for sports because it mm -hmm. happens in real time. Like to me, and I always said this when I was sitting on a trading desk, sports to me, particularly live sports, obviously, right, seems to me like the same thing, like a market. 
it's just happening in real time. You kind of don't know what's going to happen. You have some historical view on what's happened in whatever game you're watching, whether it's a football game, a baseball game, um, an American football game, a tennis match. You kind of know what the flow is going to be like. But again, there are wild cards and all these crazy things that happen. But if you can go back and analyze all those games like we did in the stock market, you can create some understanding of what may happen next. And mm -hmm. we used to write, you know, we used to do something called backtesting. So if you go back right. and backtest video, you can use machine learning and artificial intelligence to then understand what might happen next. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, predictive, like a lot, lot of uh, predictive software has come into play, yes. Yeah, so, but it's so uniquely well set up for sports, which is awesome because that's what you're doing. And it's gotta be super cool. I'm curious in your, in your job, when you go and show this demo to people that haven't seen it before, like what's their reaction? You know, that's exactly what happened when we went uh, to Monaco last year at Sportel and we started showing our demo that this is what we could do. There were people whose jaws literally dropped and like, we didn't know this was possible. And, and that was amazing for us because that gave us that, uh, you know, surety that what we were doing was right. We were in the right space. We were in the right field. We, were, we had the right product because all broadcasters, everyone who met us was super excited by this product. Because they have to do it, right? In other words, the way it works that I understand is there's this live video going on and you can then take these snippets from live video, create content around it almost instantaneously in a way that no human could do. Like if you think about three, five, ten interns in a truck somewhere off site and someone going, hey, we need a clip of that thing right now, right now. And just like the insanity around, no, because I know this from the market side, right? I need more data. I need more information so I can make a better trade. It's no different to me than I need to say something about that thing that just happened and it and I have to say it now. Yeah, there's there's a race right now. Earlier it was only between the broadcasters the race, but now the UGC, there's someone watching that game who'll who'll make a video out of it and publish it. And the 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 broadcast there's always a race to be the first to get that information out. And with AI, because we almost can do it as fast as it goes on TV because there's a lag between when the event happens in real time and then sure. it goes on TV. And, and now with our software, you can publish that same highlight as fast as it goes on TV. So even before the event's seen on TV, you know that a highlight's going to be out. And, and that's what's driving the customers back to the platform to watch that content. So there are three things at scale, maybe more, but three things at least at scale that I want to introduce. One is compute, right? The computer that you have like on your desk right now is a thousand times, a million times, pick a number, more powerful than it was 10 years ago. Right, so the, right. And, and it just keeps getting faster and faster. But also your connectivity is faster, right? So your bandwidth is higher. And before, television stations, literally, they would have to drive up in a truck with a satellite. They would have to beam something up to a satellite somewhere else. You can see me, but nobody else can, right? <laughs> and they would beam it down in some city, like into Madrid or something, so you could get the broadcast there. But now the connectivity is different, and it's so much faster. And also you have the cloud, the cloud. So you can store all this stuff in a way you could never store before. Give me another, like I used to change tapes, literally. <laughs> right, yes, I, I remember did, doing though, that. At Morgan Stanley, I used to have to go in like on a Friday night and change 15, 20 tapes for backups. That doesn't happen anymore either, right? Because it all happens in the cloud. But with all that stuff happening, and you, you brought this up, UGC, right? So user-generated content. I can be watching the F1 race just when the mm -hmm. broadcaster is watching it. And they're racing with me to create something interesting or pithy around it. I'm really curious because you see this every day and you work with this every day. 
Like, what does the future of media look like to you? Because you're really in it. And, and, you know, you said you started with Home Shop 18, which was much slower, right? And that's not an insult. That's just a fact. It was just much slower moving because television shopping is just a slower thing. But now you're like in the vortex. Do you know what I mean? What does it look like going forward, though? You know, I think this space is just start, like this space is just starting to grow. There are so many things that are happening. I don't know if you if you familiar with the Nike town, uh, the AR VR reality that they created a town which was where people. Come. It's a it's a metaverse, right? People can come in and walk around the Nike town and see what's happening, do the shopping. There's so much happening out there. I mean, tomorrow, um, Michael, you if if you're a sports fan and you're sitting in Thailand and not in your favorite college team playing in Arkansas, for example, I, I think you're from Wyoming, right? No. It's okay. No, sorry, Wisconsin. California, but it's okay. California, okay. So you want to watch your California team, then you can actually port yourself, teleport yourself there and yeah. watch the game in reality. And that's where what we are moving towards. You can also buy your favorite t-shirt, at least in the metaverse, you can buy your favorite t favorite player t-shirt right there. So, so there are so much still to happen and things are changing literally every day. So while you're building for today, right? I almost feel like, Companies like Magnify are kind of build not not now, but like maybe a year ago or 18 months ago, we're building to just kind of catch up to use all the technology that's available today, right? And to get to a place where you can do this kind of stuff instantaneously. But if the team's smart, and it is, it's also trying to build past what's possible today. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Right, exactly. And, that and, and that's what you have to, sorry. No, go ahead. So you have to keep thinking of what customers don't even know what they want because we want to develop that product and be the first to give that out as an offering to the customers. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, what was it, Henry Ford, who said, if I asked my customers what they'd want, they just told they would have told me a faster horse, right? So, yeah. but I don't think it's yeah. any different because I don't think humans are any better off to, to, today in that respect with knowing what they want than they were, who knows when Henry Ford was building these cars, the 1910s or 1920s, I don't remember anymore. But you brought up the metaverse. And if you think that the metaverse is going to be this immersive, very interactive experience, just imagine this with me, right? And this is okay. just a thought I'm having right now. Imagine I'm sitting in a room. So right now, like I sit in my, in my den at home and I have a television set. Maybe it's a big TV. Let's say it's like 85 inches. I've got a gigantic television set. I've got surround sound in there. And I can like hear the crowd cheering and I can hear somebody thump the ball into the goal, Yeah. But what if I could sit in a room where the walls are just constant, continuous speakers? There are mm -hmm. haptics on the floor and like it's dark, but I feel like I'm actually sitting in a seat at a stadium in, for Manchester United. I'm not there, but I feel like I'm there. That whole experience then is completely different, yeah? Yes, absolutely. And that, that's, what, that's what we're moving towards. And, and it's kind of exciting but scary at the same time I, I don't want to be in a place where i never go to a game anymore right a ball game because it's fun i want to eat the fries there i want to <laughs> i want to you know do everything that you did when you went to a game but but and and be with people but now that experience is moving in your house and is that going to change the way people um take out time to spend with family yes sure it, it would i think so but i think that there's this there is this sort of What's the right word? Um, philosophical change around the way we interact. And at some point, we won't talk about the metaverse. We'll just talk about 
reality. We won't talk about augmented reality. We'll just talk about reality, right? We won't talk about virtual reality. We'll just talk about reality. And to be fair, I was on a call with somebody a few days ago and I said to him, you know, my vision for this is that nobody will be wearing goggles because nobody wants to do that because I can't interact with you and I have that, but I do want to have that immersive experience. And I think about this idea about contact lenses that are really just screens that have little things and all this other stuff in them. And he said to me, and this kind of blew me away. He said to me, oh, I tested those when I was in the States. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah, it's, it's a fun world we live in, Michael. It's, every time I go to a conference and I meet people who are inventing, it's just super exciting because there's so much happening out there. And do these conversations happen internally and magnify? Do you know what I mean? Do you have these discussions about what we're building today is great, but if we can... What's the step change like into the next things that are coming? I mean, you must know this, right? It must be super cool. Like I can feel it in your voice. You're excited, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, see, the excitement comes from being in a company that's building the future or building for the future. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you are in that um, area already, then you have no choice but to constantly discuss what's next and how do we how do we stay ahead of the game? And that becomes very important because we all are very of strong opinion that I think every three years you have to change the business you're in. Agreed. Because otherwise you're going to become redundant very Agreed. fast. So what does it look like to you? Is it this immersive, do you think? I, I think it is. I, I actually believe that uh, the immersive gaming or the immersive experiences are going to be a reality. But I also feel that people will realize the value of human interaction far more. And, and they will be, they'll be, both will coexist. It's not one will die for the other. Yeah, I agree with you. Look, I think one of the things that the pandemic taught all of us was this inherent need for human interaction. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, right? So I went to Singapore. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't traveled for two and a half years, and then I went to Singapore for a month in June. And just that whole concept of being in a room with a thousand other people was almost like invigorating. You're laughing, but it was invigorating in a way, right? Oh, but I've that's had that Go ahead. People are out with a vengeance. Everybody's out. Yeah. So I just cur I'm just really curious about how that's going to change the way. Like, I think the more immersive experiences get, the more it will enhance the way we feel about the existing immersive experiences that we already have, right? Like if you go back to when you were a little kid, right? You said you grew up in a small town. I'm betting, and I know this is true for me, but I'm betting there are certain sounds or certain smells that you yeah. feel and you're just like, oh, wait, that was that thing. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you're right. So the... What happened during COVID is also going to happen in the future because the, the less you experience the outside, the red, the more you miss that interaction, the more you realize the value of it. And that's what's going to happen when experiences become more immersive. Then you want to step out of that and experience the world. And, and in you, I think you will cherish it a lot more when you get to experience the world in a real way. I think so. We spent some time talking about the way that Magnify works with sports and real-time sports. Where do you branch out to on top of that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so we are doing a lot of work with one. There's so many sports more to cover, right? There's, sure. there's so many sports in the world that we've never even heard of. So obviously that's one thing that we'll keep growing into. The other is we're uh, expanding into entertainment. The AI is becoming smart enough to, um, to 
identify emotions, your smile, your tears, your sadness, your anger, everything. They, they, they can now identify it and, and identify those moments. So we, we are continuing to grow in that field. And then news as well, right? Right now, no one wants to watch an eight-hour news cycle. They want to watch what's happened at the end of the day. The AI can build those highlights. They can transform the horizontal into what. So different aspect ratios, different digital mediums. They can do it in real time. Uh, I and then then there's um, digital ads, right? So for example, you are sitting in Thailand. I can offer behind you. I can put an ad that's more apt for you versus behind me. If it was a video, I could put an Indian ad that made more sense to the Indian audience. And I could do it in a way that the audience won't even realize it's an advertisement. So I think there is so much out there in video tech that's still, that we're working on and it's still developing um, that, that I don't think there is a limit right now. I don't think so either. I want to ask you this too. So if I do a video podcast, which I do do a bunch of them, but if I run AI through it, right? So if I run one of your products through it and I say, just like pick out this little snippet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even moving that fast, but it should be able to do that too, right? Do you know what I mean? So if you identify what snippet to pick out, that you can do yourself, right? But th- and that you can do, th- because the AI can then transcribe your podcast. And Easily. That, and then you can just highlight that moment and it'll cut that moment out for you. Right. So that's already there. Uh, what about Instead search? Having, what about search? Sorry? Do you know what I mean? Search. In other words, let's say I know that I had a conversation with somebody or I know that there was something that happened, like in the middle of this video where you and I were talking about like Walmart or something. Is there a way to search that too and then create, let's say like 45 seconds around it? Because I, I want to do this so badly. I want to figure out a way to use this, right? Because there's so much more stuff that I want to do. And I'm trying to figure out how to use the most modern tools to be able to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So what you, like I said, you can take your uh, video podcast, you can transcribe it. So you put it all uh, on paper and then you say, search for the word Walmart, highlight all the word Walmart and say, edit a video out of everywhere the word Walmart was mentioned. You don't think that's super cool? I'm already sitting here thinking about ways that that's super cool. You're like, I do this every day. That's so boring to me. To me, it's like transformational. It's exciting. It's it's great because uh, now we made editing Something that anyone can do. You're not dependent on your editor anymore. Yeah, I am the editor, so I'm not dependent on me anymore. That would be a great thing. Since I don't have enough time. I'm making you redundant. <laughs> Please, I was already made redundant years ago. Um, nobody really needs me. When you, did, did you say you have a son? Did you say that to me? I do have a son, yes. Yeah, but so when he looks at the stuff that you do, right? Mm-hmm. Is he blown away as well? Do you know what I mean? No, I think Gen Z takes it for granted. They think this is this is something they should expect from this world. Really? Yes. So what do you need to surprise them? Do you know what I mean? Because to me it's to me it's unbelievable. And I work in this every single day, right? So to me it's not like something that's happening over there. It's something that happens to me every single day, right? So like when I learn about the product, I can figure out like how it gets used, but I wouldn't take it for granted. And maybe it's because like we talked about, I've seen compute change, I've seen connectivity change, and I've seen the cloud come in so that you can do all this stuff you couldn't even do five years ago. But are you saying, are you suggesting that to Gen Z, at least based on your experience, that they're just like, yeah, feels normal to me kind of thing? I think so. I think they're expecting, and, and they, they want better. They, they are constantly, at least he's striving for, so what next? What are you doing next? So maybe that's 
now that he's seen me do it for a couple of years he just expects it to happen and he wants more out of it i don't know if all of them are like that but my son definitely i think he takes it for granted do you think that i have this theory about me that like i'm completely unhirable because once <laughs> no because once you and i mean it in a specific sense right because once you work like starting at walmart.com right you're starting from scratch you do shop 18 right so you're working in the startup world now you're in this company that's moving so fast. It's like almost impossible to go back and like get a job kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? No. So I decided after Home Shop 18 that I, 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 I could not work in a large enterprise. Like I could not work in a large company. I've always, since then, I've had entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial jobs where right. I come in and I build something because that's what, that's what excites me. If I had to just sit at, at my desk every day and do the same thing over again, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. But that, that, that goes back to my childhood, right? When I was a kid, I, I danced, I painted, I sang, I did martial arts. I wanted to do everything that was possible to do at right. the time. Is your family surprised, right? Because you said traditional business family, right? Conservative <laughs> business family. Are they surprised by just the level of entrepreneurial energy that you have? Or are they sitting on the sidelines going, yeah, we kind of figured this was going to happen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, I think they realized it because they saw that I had an entrepreneurial spirit. And they're all entrepreneurs, right? Because they're all in business and they, right. they, they created businesses. So I think I've learned it from them. I get it from them. Uh, I just didn't know it existed in me. And they didn't realize it existed. But I don't think it comes as a surprise to anybody. Because I, I feel to be what you are brought up as or it really influences your uh, future what what you, your your uh, childhood influences your future yeah i mean yeah, i always say like you sense. can't run away from who you are like it, it just is a thing right and yeah at some level it always comes out um do you feel like a role model for younger ladies and do you want to be or is it just something where you just want to kind of get on with it do you know what i mean and hopefully people will notice what you've been able to do and think, I can do that too. I don't consider myself a role model. If anything, I want to, you know, when I meet women, I want to tell them, this is what I did wrong. Please don't do this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, go uh, ahead. And, and I really believe in just putting my head down and doing my thing. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be the person because I'm not, you know, everybody has, has issues. I have my own challenges. I, I don't want people to learn those bad things from me because from my, every, every person I've ever worked with or ever spend my time with things that I take away are, this is not how I want to be, you know? So I pick up, I understand what is the good about them and what is the things that I don't want to learn from them. Right. And, and I, if I could teach anybody, I would rather tell them don't, these are the things about me you should not be like. Yeah, it's really interesting, though. This idea of mentoring and role modeling is really like that, right? So there's this idea in the market, I'll say, that being a role model is exposing your perfection to other people and hoping that they'll copy it. But this is just anathema, yeah. right? Because it doesn't work that way. The real idea is I'm here in spite of all of these things. Mm -hmm. And maybe one of the things that I tell my daughter is no individual day is fatal. Right. So, but you know what I mean? Because particularly when they're younger, they just feel like, oh God, I messed that thing up. It's over, whatever it is. But the reality right. is that like, 
life is just this cycle, I think. And if you're lucky, the cycle goes up and to the right. Mm -hmm. Most people just goes to the side, really. But it never is a straight line up and to the right. And everybody's cycle looks slightly different. But the idea is that in the bumps in the road, you've kind of made this decision of, I'm just going to keep going forward anyway. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And every bump in the road, I make it a point of what I've learned. And I don't want to make that mistake again. For sure. And that's that's the important thing for me, that not to make those I mean, of course, if you're not taking a risk, and I tell this to my team also, keep making mistakes, keep learning from them and keep growing from them. Because if you're not making mistakes, that means you're not taking enough risk. And I'm the kind that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to take a risk. And of course, a calculated risk, but you must absolutely take a risk. I agree. And that's the perfect way to end this conversation. Meghna Krishna, Group Chief Revenue Officer. I'm going to say it, Magnify. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a pleasure being here. You take care.